Episode 33 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 6.8, Nephite Western Campaign, Reconquest, Battle Analysis, Third Battle of Manti. Each region of the Amalekiahite War presents some unique military events. In the previous episode, I discussed the first and only semi-detailed example of a passive siege, whereas in this episode, the Third Battle of Manti, it involves a siege and deception to draw out a superior force. The actions of Helaman II and his army in retaking Manti stand in marked contrast to the manner in which the Lamanites appeared to take cities. The Lamanites captured six cities in the east within months and four cities in the west in a similarly fast manner. At Kumani, as we discussed in the previous episode, Helaman II took what appeared to be weeks or maybe months to take a single city. The Lamanites seemed to have taken cities by assault. But Helaman too was unable to do so, and the Nephites, in general, seemed to focus on either drawing out armies from defensive positions or on using passive siege tactic to wear their Lamanite opponents down. Why was this so? One reason for Nephite actions might have been a result of a disparity in relative force sizes. This almost certainly played a role in the change in Helaman II's tactics between Kumani and Manti. The conduct of the Nephites during the Third Battle of Manti emphasizes the size of loss experienced by the Nephites in the battles fought around the city of Kumani. It is only necessary to read several statements of Helaman as he related the relative force sizes of the Nephites and Lamanites. I quote from Alma 57, verses 8, 13, and 23, and Alma 58, verses 1 and 2. And now, behold, I will show unto you that we soon accomplished our desire, yea, with our strong force, or with a part of our strong force, we did surround by night the city Kumani, a little before they were to receive a supply of provisions. But it came to pass that our prisoners were so numerous that notwithstanding the enormity of our numbers, we were obliged to employ all our force to keep them or to put them to death. And we retained our city Kumani, and were not all destroyed by the sword. Nevertheless, we had suffered great loss. And behold, now it came to pass that our next object was to obtain the city of Manti. But behold, there was no way that we could lead them out of the city by our small bands. For behold, they remembered that which we had hitherto done. Therefore, we could not decoy them away from their strongholds. And they were so much more numerous than was our army that we durst not go forth and attack them in their strongholds. Kumani cost the Nephites their position of dominance and forced another change in strategy. Helaman too was able to adapt his actions and tactics to achieve a complete victory in the Western theater despite the change from a dominant position with overwhelming resources of forces to being the underdog and having to primarily use deception to shape the behavior of his opponent. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Overview of the Campaign 
In the previous episode, Helaman II captured the city of Kumanai by conducting a close passive siege, by defeating two separate relieving armies and overcoming escaping prisoners. It was something of a mess that he dealt with. In the east, as we will see next episode, Moroni was preparing to conduct operations against the city of Gid. In the center of the country, unbeknownst to either Moroni or Helaman II, the kingmen were added again, and in this iteration they drove the chief judge and governor of the land out of Zarahemla. We will get to more about that in a later episode, but it is important to recognize that it was happening as Helaman II prepared for and fought this battle. Additionally, Remember that this battle happened in and around the same city of Manti where the most detailed battle in the Book of Mormon occurred, as recorded in Alma chapters 43 and 44, and that we discussed in detail in episode 20 or part 5.1 of this podcast series. It might be worth re-listening to. The fighting at Manti provides insight into Helaman II as a learning leader. In what follows, I will point out adaptations from both the fighting north of Antipara, as we discussed in episode 30, or part 6.5, and the fighting in and around Kumanai, as we discussed in episode 32, or part 6.7. One of the adaptations could also have applied a lesson learned from the fighting around Mulek, as we discussed in episode 31, or part 6.6, in the Eastern Theater that gives a hint of some transference of information from one theater to another. Not only did Helaman II seem to be learning, it seemed that he counted on the fact that the Lamanites knew about and were learning from the interactions as well. It was as if Helaman II was taking advantage of what he believed the Lamanites knew about the fighting at Kumanai. As a note, this battle took place within a close time proximity to the fighting at Kumanai. At least, they both happened in the 29th year of the reign of the judges. We are told about the third battle of Manti in Alma, chapter 58, verses 13 to 28. Geographical Setting, Terrain Episode 20, or part 5.1, describes the geography around Manti quite well. I refer you back to that episode for the details. I want to provide a brief recap here. Manti laid in a river valley where the Sidon River flowed from the south to the north. The city was on the western side of the river, as was a valley that seemed to hold a tributary stream, and a hill called Ripla was on the east. Manti was a southernmost Nephite city. There was some trail network that connected Manti with Antionum to the east, and there must have been a trail network that extended to the south and Nephite lands as well as to the north toward Zarahemla and to the west and Kumanai. As I imagine it, Manti sat at a sort of crossroads of trail networks that wound through the southern wilderness. Vegetation. Vegetation played a role in the fighting as portions of the Nephite army were hidden from Lamanite spies and the Lamanite army such that the army passed by them. We are told in Alma 58, verse 13, that the Nephite army pitched their, quote, tents by the wilderness side, which was near to the city, close quote. I think this wilderness was in one of two locations. Either the wilderness on the east side of the city and the river Sidon in the direction of the paths to Antionum, or the wilderness to the north of Manti in the direction of the paths to Zarahemla. I say this for two reasons. 
One, the Lamanites were concerned about the location of the Nephite camp. If the Nephites were on the trail to Kumani, why would the Lamanites care? I do have something of an answer for this point. Helaman 2 tells us in Alma 58.15 that one of the Lamanite motivations was the small size of the Nephite force and concern about being cut off. Not that the Lamanites were, in fact, cut off. 2. If the Nephites were on the trails to the south, in between Manti and the land of Nephi, then it wouldn't make sense when the Nephite army later turned towards Zarahemla, as they would have essentially had to make a 180-degree change in course, and that would have brought them into contact with the pursuing Lamanite army. In the east, Helaman II's army would have been blocking resupply from Antionum and the land of the Zoramites, who made up many of the Lamanite leaders. That might have been seen as a threat. On the north, Helaman II's army would have blocked the route between Zeezrom and Manti and threatened the ability of the Lamanites to resupply their northernmost captured Nephite city in this theater. All of this is based off my suppositions of Book of Mormon geography. Who was involved? Obviously, we have Nephite and Lamanite forces, but it is important to recognize that each force was divided. The Nephites had three divisions and the Lamanites two, and both sides continued their significant use of spies. Nephite forces. Helaman II divided his forces into four components. He commanded his main force, and he had two subordinate forces, each commanded by men named Gid and Teomner. And he also had a force of spies that were critical to his ability to execute the plan. The sizes of forces are difficult to identify as no numbers were given. Prior to the battle, Helaman II explained in Alma 58.8 that his forces received 2,000 men who guarded provisions, and he contrasted that in Alma 58.5 with the reinforcements received by the Lamanites, which he characterized as, quote, great strength from day to day, close quote. And that were innumerable, as he states in Alma 58.8. He clearly identified that the balance of force was tipping away from the dominance that he held prior to the battles in and around Kumani toward the Lamanites. The losses accumulated during that fighting brought the Nephites low in terms of their combat capability. It is possible to suggest that the army employed in and around Manti was about 4,000 to 6,000 warriors, and that each of the subdivisions of the army, Helaman, Gid, Tiamner, each consisted of about 2,000 men, or the standard Nephite army. It is probable that each of these armies was under strength, as Helaman II refers in Alma 58.16 to both Gid and Teomner's forces as a small number of men. In my mind, it is probable that Helaman II commanded a mostly regular strength army, as I believe that he commanded his Ammonite Lamanite soldiers, who still included 2,016 warriors in their ranks. I find it unlikely in both a practical and a poetic sense that the Ammonites were divided in this fight. As stated, Helaman II had a significant spy network. One example of this is Helaman II's knowledge of the inflow of Lamanite reinforcements. Another example is that Helaman II knew when the Lamanite spies identified and reported on his camp location, as we are told in Alma 58.15. Lamanite Forces once again, the Lamanite force was superior to the Nephites in the Western Theater. They now occupied two cities in Manti and Zeezrom, 
and seemed to be focusing on the defense of Manti as the critical point in the Lamanite expansion still existing in the West. No commander is named, nor is there an indication of numbers other than to refer to the Lamanites as innumerable. The expectation may have been that the Lamanites were staging for another attempt at offensive operations. The forces present may have numbered around 8,000 to 10,000, as that was well within the realm of probability. Certainly, Helaman too would have seen such numbers as somewhat overwhelming to his 4,000 to 6,000. The Lamanites had spies, at least at the tactical level, that were critical to this fighting. I suppose that they fought with Nephite spies along the trail network between Manti and Kumani. They identified the Nephite army encamped outside Manti. They were also attacked by Gid and Tiamner after the Lamanite army pursued Helaman II's force. The spy network at the operational and strategic levels seemed to have been broken, at least in a specific area. The Lamanite commander knew the Nephite army was present, but he did not know that the Nephites had divided forces in the wilderness. The ability of Lamanite spies to provide the critical information both for the close battle and understanding intentions had ended. Key Leaders in the Battle Nephite Forces The only additional leaders present in this battle are Gid and Tiamner. Gid was almost certainly the same Gid whose name we were given as the commander of the guard force who returned to save Helaman II's army at Kumani, and we discussed some possible details about him in the previous episode. Tiamner is a name that hasn't previously been introduced in the Book of Mormon, and we have no reference to his name again in the record, not as a person or a location. I imagine that Tiamner was one of the subordinate commanders present in other fights in the Western theater previously discussed. It is also possible that Tiamner was the name of the commander of the 2,000 reinforcements that came with provisions. We don't know. I would like to believe that it was Gid and Tiamner who were influential in the Battle of Antipas's fall, who gathered the broken and defeated Nephite army after Antipas was killed and inspired the fighters to return to the battlefield and save the Ammonite fighters who had just recently saved them from Lamanite pursuit. We don't know if it was true, but I think it puts a name to great battlefield leadership. Regardless of previous performance, in this battle, Gid and Tiamner both performed brilliantly under challenging circumstances. Clearly, these were men of action in whom Helaman II had confidence. Lamanite forces. No specific commanders are mentioned, Amron was probably not present as he continued to lead the Lamanite effort after this battle, though no information of him was provided. Strategic and Operational Context At the beginning of this battle, the Lamanites controlled two cities in the Western Theater, Manti and Zeezrom. Helaman too focused all of his efforts on Manti. There are many possibilities for his choice, and there is little information as Zeezrom is not mentioned by name. The end result of this battle, as we are told in Alma 5830, is that the Lamanites, quote, did flee out of all this quarter of the land, close quote. This gives the impression that Manti served as critical terrain, the holding of which gave significant advantage. By capturing Manti, the possession of Zeezrom was made untenable, and the Lamanites there were forced to flee. This was a classic case of a turning movement. By seizing the critical city of Manti, Lamanite forces elsewhere were forced to turn from their current positions and to either attack Manti or to flee the area for greater safety. 
I want to point out that this battle did not immediately follow the fighting at Kumanai. In fact, Helaman II tells us in Alma 58.7 that he and his fighters waited many months for reinforcements and provisions. The initial fighting was a series of skirmishes between the Lamanite forces from Manti and the Nephite forces still at Kumanai. I imagine that the fighting was between spies and reinforcements of spies along the trail network between the two cities. I remind the listener that spies, in the Book of Mormon context, is normally more analogous to present-day use of the word reconnaissance, although at times they were spies in a sort of James Bond sense. Imagine small reconnaissance forces from both the Nephites and the Lamanites moving along the trail network, either toward Kumani or Manti, who make contact with each other, and then one side fled back toward their parent city, and the other pursued until getting too close as to risk destruction, and then the forces separated. This is what I believe that Helaman II is talking about when he says in Alma 58.6, quote, And the Lamanites were sallying forth against us from time to time, resolving by stratagem to destroy us. Nevertheless, we could not come to battle with them because of their retreats and their strongholds, close quote. Provisions played a key role in the events surrounding this battle, as Helaman II states that they were, quote, about to perish for the want of food, close quote. Helaman II had sent an embassy to the governor to, as he says in Alma 58.4, quote, acquaint him concerning the affairs of our people, close quote. Helaman II then says that they waited for many months before receiving additional support. Later, the reason for this lack of support is revealed, as there was another Nephite insurrection ongoing at Zarahemla. Regardless of the legitimacy of the reason, the Western Theater was in a dangerous position, as Helaman II decided to march out and take Manti near the end of the 29th year of the reign of the judges. Technical Context Faith equals tangible strength Helaman too was a prophet, and as such, it was not surprising that he would identify a spiritual component to the success. Helaman too does not simply explain that faith allowed them to endure, but he expressed the fact that faith made them strong. He explained in Alma 58.11 how the Lord did speak assurances and peace. This spiritual component added to the physical to allow Helaman II to say in Alma 58.13 as he attacked a superior force with an inferior one that they, quote, did go forth with all their might against the Lamanites, close quote. And this was a physically powerful benefit received from the Lord. Helaman II elaborated on this theme in Alma 58.15 by expressing the fact that the Lamanite spies identified that they were not strong, quote, according to their numbers, close quote implying a strength that was separate from the physical. Tactical Events Helaman II followed a combination of patterns that we have discussed in previous episodes during this battle in that he seemed to have combined lessons learned from the Second Battle of Kumanai, along with the Battle of Antipas's Fall and the Third Battle of Mulek, in that he used a close passive siege, or at least something that could be considered a portion of a close passive siege, as a way to bait the enemy from their strong defensive position, and he then led them away while he attacked the city with a secreted force. 
it is possible that Helaman II had gained some knowledge of what happened at the fighting around Mulich, possibly from the reinforcements that he just received. If he did, we are not told so. It is only supposition on my part that this transfer of information might have happened. As we are told in the record, Helaman II did not know about what was happening elsewhere. If so, this is impressive. What made this impressive was that Helaman II derived this plan from his own personal knowledge or inspiration. Helaman II camped on the wilderness side of Manti, which, as identified previously, probably meant the east side between the land of Antionum and the land of Manti, thus interposing the Nephite army between Manti and potential reinforcement or provisions. The Lamanite commander seems to have been prudent in that he preferred to remove a possible problem before it became a real problem, and the disparity in size of forces gave him confidence in success. The day after the Nephite army made camp, as we are told in Alma 58.14, Lamanite spies conducted a reconnaissance of the Nephite force and identified its numbers and strength. It is probable that the Nephite spies were aware of this movement, and Helaman II knew they were being watched. Additionally, he seems to have understood the preparations made by the Lamanites within Manti and the Lamanite reasoning for their upcoming attack. Helaman II took the information and came up with the plan, which may have pre-existed the movement to the wilderness of Manti. He divided his inferior force into three sub-components and secreted two groups in the wilderness on either side of the main trail that Helaman II and his army would use. This was a great example of Helaman II's empathy for his opponent as he used the Lamanite eagerness and the perception of the relative weakness of his own force as an irresistible bait to draw the Lamanites on faster than they could conduct any reconnaissance or even serious situational awareness. We are told in Alma 58.17 that Helaman II secreted his two subordinate commands with Gid and his army on the right. I interpret the right and left reference to be based on Helaman II's route of march as he passed the forces in his retreat. So this means that Gid and his army were on the south of the main route, and Tiamner and his army were on the left or the north. The Lamanite commander was in such a hurry to bring the Nephite army to battle and destroy it that as Helaman II retreated, the Lamanites chased them so fast that they couldn't take time to pay attention to more than a thousand men on either side of their pursuit. Helaman II led the Lamanites on a chase, which was a role that he was well qualified for, as you probably remember from episode 30 or part 6.5, as he conducted a similar operation in his first major battle as a commander. Helaman II led the chase away from Manti and ultimately towards Zarahemla, as we are told in Alma 58.23. As the Lamanites became aware of Helaman II's probable destination, they broke off the chase and began to return to Manti. This was not a decision made early in the day. The Lamanite commander or commanders decided to camp for the night, and he or they assumed that the Nephites would either continue towards Zarahemla or camp as well. They were unconcerned for their own safety. After Helaman II's army and the pursuing Lamanite army passed the forces of Gid and Teomner, these two men led their armies back to Manti, 
Their first act, as we are told in Alma 58.20, was to, quote, cut off the spies of the Lamanites, that they should not return to the city, close quote. The statement about attacking the Lamanite spies reveals two key points. First, the Lamanites had spies to cover all aspects of the army's attack, both before and after the movement of the main force. Second, Helaman II and his subordinate commanders understood the Lamanite spy organization and the importance of denying the Lamanites battlefield information. Gid and Tiamner were able to overwhelm the Lamanite spies and the city guards and take possession of the city as the Lamanites had taken, quote, their whole army save a few guards only, close quote, from Alma 5822. The Lamanite army was so far away that the commander decided not to return to the city on the same day as the attack began. As the Lamanites camped, Helaman II moved during the night to get back to Manti and link up with Gid and Tiamner and fully defend and secure the city. The decisions of the Lamanite chief captains were a direct result of their loss of spies at the earlier action of Tiamner and Gid. It is interesting that in Alma 5821, it seems as if the Nephites killed Lamanite guards, as Helaman II says that Gid and Tiamner did destroy them. But in Alma 58.28, Helaman II says that they took the city without the shedding of blood. I believe that he said that based on the fact that his army could simply arrive at the city and occupy it without any further fighting. It is also possible that the use of destroy regarding the guards, stated earlier, might refer to defeating them or removing them from their posts in some permanent but not lethal sense. The description in verse 28 might also reflect Helaman II being overwhelmed by success that exceeded his expectations and his language reflects as much. The fact that Helaman II and all of his forces occupied Manti such that when the Lamanite army returned without any warning from spies of the Nephite success, the Lamanites were completely surprised and shocked. The shock and the Nephite willingness to defend the city and the apparent ability to do more than considered humanly possible caused the Lamanites to simply flee the land. Battlefield Leadership Helaman II had grown significantly as a battlefield commander. I want to provide three critical leadership events in this battle. One, the decision to attack Manti rather than Zeezrom. Two, the tremendous risk of dividing an inferior force in the face of a superior opponent. 3. The motivation of his forces by references to the title of liberty. 1. Helaman II doesn't get enough credit for his wisdom as a theater commander. Regardless of whether or not my reading of Nephite geography is correct, the success of taking Manti caused the Lamanites to abandon Zeezrom. I think this was because the geographical position demanded it, but the reason doesn't really matter. It is possible that if Helaman II had gone after Zeezrom rather than Manti, that he would have had to fight both at Zeezrom and then another battle at Manti. That means that he would have had to fight two battles rather than one. As we are told in Alma 58, Helaman II ultimately only had to fight one relatively bloodless battle at Manti to get two for the price of one. The recognition of the critical function of Manti over Zeezrom was either inspiration or direct revelation, but either way, it was great operational leadership. Two, 
Helaman II devised a complex scheme of maneuver that allowed him to place his inferior force against a superior force and still capture a fortified position without the loss of a single Nephite soldier. This was a great accomplishment for any battlefield commander of any era. Helaman II accomplished his goal by making one critical decision that risked everything. In that, Helaman II was relying on the fact that his faith allowed him to have complete trust in the risk he was assuming. The decision was to divide an inferior force in the face of a superior opponent. This allowed him to accomplish both necessary missions, the destruction of the Lamanite spies and the leading away of the Lamanite army to a distance sufficient to allow Helaman II to bypass and return to the city undetected and unchallenged by the pursuing Lamanites. Helaman II clearly had established a pattern of leadership that allowed his subordinates the freedom to make critical decisions when opportunities presented themselves. Both Gid and Tiamner did so at this time. It seemed that Helaman II expected to have to fight with his army to get control of Manti, and that he did not know beforehand how few guards would be left behind. The blessing of returning to a secured city without the need of another battle clearly was additional proof of the hand of God in the prosecution of this battle. 3. Helaman II used references to the title of liberty to motivate and inspire his subordinate commanders and fighters. I remind you of the actual text of the title of liberty from Alma 46.12, quote, In memory of our God, our religion and freedom, and our peace, our wives, and our children, close quote. Helaman too used a similar wording as he led his fighters in prayer, and they received assurances from God as we are told in Alma 58, verses 10 to 12, quote, Therefore we did pour out our souls in prayer to God, that he would strengthen us and deliver us out of the hands of our enemies, yea, and also give us strength that we might retain our cities and our lands and our possessions for the support of our people. Yea, and it came to pass that the Lord our God did visit us with assurances that he would deliver us, yea, insomuch that he did speak peace to our souls, and did grant unto us great faith, and did cause us that we should hope for our deliverance in him." And we did take courage with our small force, which we had received, and were fixed with a determination to conquer our enemies and to maintain our lands and our possessions and our wives and our children and the cause of our liberty. Close quote. The title of liberty was the source of common belief and purpose for the Nephites for generations. It is important to remember that it was only written and raised in the 19th year of the reign of the judges, and this prayer and reassurance occurred in the 29th year of the reign of the judges. Significance. The capture of Manti led to a complete Lamanite withdrawal from the Western theater, as we are told in Alma 5830. This seemed to be a spontaneous act on the part of the Lamanites, rather than a planned and directed one on the part of the Nephites, though no information exists to confirm this supposition. It must be assumed that it was after the Battle of Manti that the city of Zeezrom was returned to Nephite control, as no mention of its capture is made prior to this in Helaman II's detailed report to Moroni. Helaman II commented on the loss of numerous prisoners and the return of Nephites to their homes in Alma 58, 30-31. 
Both of these issues give some insights into the nature of the conflict and the fact that there were displaced persons within Nephite lands. This had to have some influence on motivations for fighting on both sides, as Nephites sought to fight for their security and the possibility of returning those captured, whereas Lamanites might have fought for the opportunity to claim prisoners, as certainly many of the prisoners were carried away as personal property and rewards for conquest, just as was the case in most ancient and some more recent militaries. For example, ISIS. Helaman II also paints a picture of limited resources and the need for greater reinforcement from a capital region and the rest of the lands to be able to defend those lands they regained. His query on this matter will be the catalyst for Moroni's scathing rebuke of the chief judge and the Nephite rulers, as we will discuss in two episodes, since Moroni won't know of the success in the West until after his success at the city of Gid, which is the topic for the very next episode. Lessons Learned Military History The lessons from this battle center on preparation and understanding, primarily on the power of achieving shock. Identification Helaman II understood that his opponent would see him and that the Nephite position would force a Lamanite decision to react to their presence. He also understood the importance of removing the spies at the right time in the battle. This is a critical lesson that is subtle and often missed. Sometimes it is good to let the opponent be able to see some things. The key is to be the one who determines what is seen and what is not. Helaman II achieved this delicate balance, and this is what truly made the difference. Isolation. Helaman II used space and time to separate and isolate the larger Lamanite army. He could never have isolated them close to Manti. His plan was the only way to achieve isolation. He risked isolating his force in close contact with the superior army, but he seemed to have learned from his previous experience and possibly from the fighting around Mulek, so that he moved consistently toward a safe haven where he had the possibility of protection from isolation. Suppression Helaman II could not deny his opponent the ability to maneuver through his force of will or his military power, so he used the direction of travel and separation from Manti as a way to stop the Lamanites through their own choices rather than through a contest of arms or wills. Maneuver Helaman II created maneuver by using time as the maneuver space. He moved when his opponent did not expect it. This is another subtle point. Maneuver is not solely spatially driven, but can be performed in many ways, as this case demonstrates the use of time as a field of maneuver. The specific reference I am making is that Helaman II used a time where the Lamanite army was stationary, that being while the Lamanite army was asleep in camp, as a way to gain a position of advantage. Destruction the Lamanites were destroyed by emotional shock as they arrived at what they thought was a safe city only to find it occupied by their enemy. To truly appreciate this, it is necessary to put yourself in the place of the warrior or leader who had made two long and fast marches, the first to try to catch the fleeing Nephites and the second to return back to Manti. The warriors were certainly tired and mentally prepared to rest well only to be brutally shaken from that goal by the appearance of an enemy they thought mentally defeated and fleeing to their capital. 
the Lamanite army probably melted away as individuals and small groups sought a safe place to rest. The Lamanite leaders probably did not decide to abandon the city, but were given no choice as the army seemed to melt away. Lessons Learned Spiritual What is to be learned from the details of this campaign? I hope that the following lessons are useful. I want to emphasize that these are some lessons that I have derived, and they are not a comprehensive list of all possible lessons or even those most applicable for you in your life as you listen to this. 1. Spiritual strength is physical strength. In some ways, this has similarities to the comment of Elisha to his servant when he said in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, quote, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Close quote. When Helaman too arose from his prayers, he knew that they could, quote, go forth with all their might against the Lamanites, close quote, from Alma 58, 13. It is so important to recognize that the spiritual is not a feel-good thing. It is a physical thing. You can do more, be stronger, walk faster when you do so with God than when you don't. This is a recurring lesson from the Helaman 2 part of the Book of Mormon. 2. When the enemy is larger and stronger, flee toward safety. We are told in multiple places in the scriptures to stand in holy places. The references throughout the scriptures, and especially in the Book of Mormon, about armor and fortifications gets at the importance of having strong places. Strong places are metaphorically holy places, and vice versa. Helaman too, much as had Teancum outside Mulek, led the way to a place of known strength and safety, and interestingly enough, also a place where the temple was. For Helaman too, that place was Zarahemla. He did not try to fight the enemy directly. It is important to not overestimate our ability to withstand our enemy but to seek safety in the strength of the house of the Lord and flee toward it when pursued. 3. Remove the enemy's ability to see. Helaman too allowed his enemy to see what he wanted seen, and he had Gid and Teomner remove the enemy's ability to see as quickly as they could to deny critical knowledge. Defeating the enemy's ability to look at what we are doing comes only through dedicated righteous behavior and actions that binds him or prevents him from following. Being in a holy place is a way to deny the enemy's ability to see and know. 4. Do not rest until you achieve unity. This is probably my favorite lesson in this story. Helaman too did not let his army rest until they were completely united and in a fortified position where they then had the ability to resist. Rather than sleep, they traveled during the night. This has connection to the blessing given to the grandson of Helaman too for unwearying service, as we are told in Helaman chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. I can imagine that this was another example of the Ammonite soldiers' disciplined obedience as they were certainly tired. Mormon's metaphor. How does this battle support it? Preparation. Helaman too prepared the battlefield through his identification of the correct city to attack. He knew this through the confirming witness of the Spirit of God, giving emphasis on the best form of preparation being spiritual preparation. Helaman too understood his enemy, probably through spies and study. 
He also planned and prepared the battlefield so that he knew what he needed to know, and his enemy did not know what the enemy needed to know. Covenants. Covenants are not expressly mentioned in the story, but I believe that they are an important part of the story. By dividing his inferior force, Helaman II created a scenario where each of the separate elements could have been defeated in detail. If each army had not done exactly as necessary, and as and when directed, then the entire operation would have collapsed. This was a tremendously high-risk operation. It required faith and confidence in every element of the force, commanders and soldiers. I think that this is reflective of covenants. Unity. I believe that we see unity in two primary ways. One, we see unity in purpose as Helaman II, the Nephite spies, Gid, and Teomner all do different things at different places to accomplish a common purpose. Two, we see unity in location as the victory comes with a united Nephite army inside the walls of Manti, ready to defend against a returning and exhausted Lamanite army. Conclusion The Third Battle of Manti was the culmination of experience for Helaman II. He used lessons he had learned throughout his military career, from the first battle where he and his small band fled to the siege of Kumani and the difficult defenses of the same city. Helaman II also used his spiritual connection with God to serve as a means of personal strength and as a way for him to strengthen his army. He achieved victories by following the maxim of work like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. Helaman II successfully returned the entire theater to Nephite control. When he arrived in the theater as a commander, the Nephite army was beaten and demoralized. They had lost four cities to Lamanite assaults and seemed to be on the verge of losing yet another. By the time this letter to Moroni ends, all of the lands are once again under Nephite control, and though they may need reinforcements, they have a strong and experienced core of warriors who have the ability to defend the cities they now hold. Our next episode returns us to the Eastern Theater and Moroni as the theater commander. He plans and directs a fascinating active and passive siege of the city of Gid so that the Nephites regain it in an attempt to free Nephite prisoners from Lamanite control. I invite you to reach out and ask questions and send comments to me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. Until next time.